What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast, a podcast to promote and improve your practice as an athletic trainer. Today, John Seco is joined by Kyla Cross and Melanie Bataglia. Uh, They're both registered dietitians that just worked or are working for the Memorial Hermann Sports Medicine Institute, uh, or Sports Medicine Ironman Institute. Um, so they just completed the work on the fellowship and uh this sports specification. I am the host, Jeremy Jackson. You can join the conversation at sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash Ramadan. If you're listening to it later, if you're listening to it live, then you already know how to get a hold of us or to to ask your questions in the comments. So it's kind of an interesting time with us talking about Ramadan and tips for the athletic trainer, uh, treating athletes during that season. Because right now, I don't know if anywhere in the country <laughs> there's athletics going on and and most likely by the end of the Ramadan season, it will, uh, it will still be going on. Like everything will still be shut down by that time. But I'm, I'm not sure. I don't know for sure. But yeah, even even if things are shut down, you know, there's there's going to be Ramadan next year. There are other religions that practice fasting as well. So I think it's it's still going to be uh, topical for us as we go forward. Uh, this will be a good time for us even to, even with athletics not going on to still educate ourselves as to how we can help our athletes that are practice fasting during uh, their religious times. Yeah, exactly. That's why we went ahead and did, I didn't want to say, Oh no, we're not going to do it because there's no athletics going on. Cause you know, a lot of the podcasts will find themselves later. So um, Kyle, I want you real quick, just give us an intro. Tell us a little bit about yourself and then Melanie will do the same. Sure. So um, as Jeremy introduced me, I'm Kyla Cross. Um, I just completed uh, an eight-month fellowship at um, Memorial Hermann Ironman Sports Medicine Institute down in Houston. Um, I did that fellowship through Gatorade. So I was one of 10 um, Gatorade uh, SNPs who were selected and was placed down in Houston. Um, I just recently moved back to Michigan, which is um, where I am originally from. I have uh, my bachelor's in exercise science, a master's in kinesiology and in public health. And I also worked for about three years as an assistant um, to Caroline Mandel, who is the director for sports nutrition at the University of Michigan before I moved down to Houston. So, and I was a former student athlete myself. I played soccer. Um, so, yeah. Where did you play soccer? Um, my In high school, I played at Bishop Foley. And um, for college, I played at Illinois State University for four years. Gotcha. So did, did Bishop Foley ever play uh, Bloomfield? Um, we didn't play Bloomfield, but we played teams like Marion. Um, we played, uh, I'm not sure who else is in Bloomfield, but we definitely played Marion. Okay. So, yep. <laughs> Just wondering if John just happened to be on the sidelines for a game. <laughs> I don't know. I think, I think John, you were in like what ten years at Bloomfield. Yeah, this is. I'm weirdly finishing my tenth year at Bloomfield. I think. <laughs> Who knows? Who even knows what day it is? I don't know. Right. <laughs> you can only tell by the Zoom meeting. Right. <laughs> All right. So Melanie, tell us. Introduce yourself. I am Melanie, and I'm currently doing a year-long residency with the Ironman Sports Medicine Institute. And um, previously, I was from Chicago suburbs and worked a little bit in clinical. 
and I was also a student athlete. I was a swimmer at St. Louis University, um, and then I've gotten into like the endurance side of like triathlons, and so um, have an interest in working with endurance athletes. But at the um, with Memorial Hermann, I'm working a lot with high school, or I was, <laughs> um, but we still are working with high school athletes, and then. Uh, University of St. Thomas, and then also in the physical therapy clinics, working with um, like individualized athletes, like endurance athletes. So I'll be I'm doing the residency through like August, September time. Um, yeah. Gotcha. So you said you're a swimmer at St. Louis University. Um, and then what made you want to do a dietitian or was that the plan all along? Yeah, swimming made me really interested in nutrition. I thought it was um, pretty fascinating how you can apply nutrition to my own performance and then would see results in the pool. Um, so that's really what started my interest in nutrition and sports nutrition. Got it. And then Kyla, is it similar? Uh, were you planning on doing nutrition throughout school? Or? Oh, no. Um... I kind of bounced around a lot of what I wanted to do for a long time. I wanted to be a physical therapist or do something like physician assistant, whatever, anything medical like that. Um, but it wasn't until I actually went to the university of Michigan for my, um, first master's program when I actually was connected with, um, Caroline Mandel through the job I current through that job I had at that time. Um, which was in the physical medicine and rehab department at Michigan. Um, I was actually working as an exercise specialist. And my boss there was like, hey, you talk about food and nutrition and your interests and your sports. So have you met this person? I was like, what are you talking about? Is that even a thing? Um, so met her, started working with her, and that kind of opened my eyes to that field. And it was absolutely the best thing because it combined my sports. It combined everything I was interested in. Um, and then come to find out I needed more school. So that's why I went back for a second master's. <laughs> so. Right, so both of you college athletes, um, did, did any of y'all ever go through like dieting things like, um, okay, well, I can't eat this cause I have to, you know, fit a certain type or, anything like that. And then especially, did you ever try intermittent fasting while you were playing sports? With swimming, it was just like making sure I'm getting a lot of food in because we would typically have like two practices a day. So burning a ton of energy. So um, I wish I knew what I knew now um, when I was a high school athlete because um, there's so much to the timing and getting in enough food. But I never... I really liked eating healthy and cooking. I didn't follow any specific diet pattern or um, I don't think I even knew what intermittent fasting was at that time, like in high school. And then in college, we had access to a sports dietitian. So um, I thought it was fun going to cooking demos and hearing her talks and learning more about how to apply nutrition, but it wasn't any like specific um, diet that I followed. Yeah, I unfortunately didn't have that um, opportunity to work with a sports dietitian either in high school or in college. We didn't have that access. Um, so I never really did any type of diet or anything like that. 
I was always the kid who was eating constantly all the time. And I think it's because I was doing so much. I played two different sports. I played soccer and basketball in high school. I sometimes did track. I, you know, was competing with my club team. So I was always doing so much that I wasn't really focused on looking a certain way, more so just eating because I was so hungry all the time. Um, And then in college, we didn't, again, really have any of those um, resources. And I myself also didn't know about intermittent fasting at that time or really any type of diet. Um, So similarly, in college, just ate based on if, you know, you're hungry, you just played or just had practice, you're going to eat. It wasn't, it definitely wasn't like it is now with all of the pressure from social media, from other teammates, or whatever the outside source may be. Gotcha. And then have either of you worked with athletes now in your professional career that have been performing during Ramadan? I I let you nod your head. Go ahead. Go ahead, Melanie. Oh, I was going to say I haven't in professional career. Um, I've just been able to like talk to an athlete friend who's gone, um, who's practiced Ramadan his whole life and played sports. But um, Kyla might have more insight on working with an athlete professionally. Yeah, definitely. Um, So at the University of Michigan, we, um, the sport that had most of those athletes, um, who participated in Ramadan were on track and field, um, which of course are still going through April, May, maybe even into June with NCs. Um, So we definitely had a few that we had to work with um, and kind of alter their schedule based on, again, if they were practicing, if they were getting ready to go to a meet. Um, So that's the exposure I've had was working with some of those athletes at um, the University of Michigan. Gotcha. All right, John, why don't you uh, kind of work through some of the, the talking points, some of the stuff you have here, and then we'll just discuss that as we go. So last year when we put together our podcast for this, uh, my, my district had came to me and asked me to put together a paper for our students, uh, more specifically for our coaching staff. Uh, we had a lot of questions from our coaches as to how to best reach the subject of Ramadan. Uh, and what are the considerations that they need to take with their athletes? So uh, I, I dove into it, did a lot of research as to the reasons behind it, uh, why it's important to fast during Ramadan. Uh, so the coaches had a, a cultural understanding of it. Mm-hmm. And then what are the most important things for the coaches to be considerate of too? Um, three of the things that we came up with, obviously diet is one of them. That's a, it's a very large portion of uh, the, uh, of the, the, of the holiday of Ramadan is diet and, and fasting. Uh, the second one was, was hydration. And that was typically used for us, uh, as the athletic trainers, how do we go about hydrating our athletes when they can't actually drink or, um, have anything in their mouth, uh, whether it's, uh, Gatorade shoes or, um, you know, salt or anything like that, we were trying to figure out how we can help our athletes hydrate for the day and hydrate for their sport practices, competitions, things like that. And then how do we help them with their sleeping habits? Because the sleep is going to be affected in two ways. 
Um, they're probably going to deal with a little bit of insomnia because they're fasting for so long and they're not used to it. And then uh, some of the athletes, when I started uh, doing some research for this, they had told me that they would actually wake up in the middle of the night, eat a lunch per se, go back to bed, wake up before dawn, eat their big meal for the day to kind of help gather them or carry them through their day, and then go back to sleep before they had to go to school. And then it was kind of, they would have their big iftar uh, dinner before they could fall asleep. And then sometimes they would wake up again a couple hours later to eat again. So their, their, their sleep was disrupted. So when they're losing sleep, they're going to be losing the effects of, of sleep, uh, the recovery aspects, things like that. So those are the things that we talked about with our coaches. And then we kind of discussed a little bit more about how to keep them a part of the team and uh, just some other topics. And we'll dive into those things. But the three things that we really dove into were the diet, hydration, and sleep. So um, I'll open it up. When it comes to intermittent fasting, what is the most important thing for athletic trainers, coaches, parents, I guess, to be aware of when it comes to diet for religious reasons? So I think the first thing would be, uh, we know like with an athlete not practicing Ramadan, eating frequency is really important throughout the day. So that's going to be a huge difference during Ramadan. They only have so much time and with intermittent fasting, so much time to get in the amount of fuel, carb, like the macronutrients, carbs, protein, and fat. Um, And so having a plan ahead of time could be really helpful. Um, Like what you said, they know when to wake up in the middle of the night um, to get in those calories. So I think the first thing would be uh, having a plan and then also their health and safety. So we want to make sure that they're able to rehydrate and get the fuel in um, so that they are safe when they're practicing, they're not getting dehydrated or low blood sugar. Um, So I think that would be a good place to start would be how how do we plan this out with the time we have to eat? And then going off of that too, probably the next thing is going to be um, making that plan and then starting to practice some of these things ahead of time. So there's been quite a few papers that have shown um, they've asked athletes or individuals who are going to start undergoing Ramadan or a certain period of um, time-restricted feeding to push back their meals by a certain amount of hours. So maybe... Um, they have a certain meal at this time and they start doing that now for that month leading up to it. They get used to eating at these certain weird times that they're now going to be eating during uh, Ramadan. So planning ahead, having that idea, and then practicing it beforehand. And athletes are good at practice, so it would be um, beneficial for them to definitely do that ahead of time as well. So like two weeks before they could start pushing lunch back two hours, for example, so they get used to going times without eating. Mm -hmm. Is there there a difference between the terms intermittent fasting and time-restricted feeding? Yeah, so they're uh, tricky terms because... um, different papers and different things define them differently. So technically intermittent fasting is 
that bigger umbrella type term. So that's eating patterns where individuals go extended periods of time um, between 16 and 48 hours with little or no energy intake um, on a recurring basis. So that's kind of that umbrella term. And then underneath that, there's different things like alternate day fasting, alternate day modified fasting, fasting two days a week, um, periodic fasting periods. And then you have this concept of time restricted feeding, which I think more people identify that definition as intermittent fasting, because that's where you have the eating pattern where it's restricted to an eating window. And it can typically be eight hours of eating um, this many hours you're fasting or you're eating for 10 hours and you're not eating for this many hours. So um, that I think is more characteristic of Ramadan just because um, they have a certain time restriction in which they're allowed to fuel and it is limited to those hours after between sunrise and sunset. Um, so I think that's more um, of what describes what happens during Ramadan. And then just to add to that, like during like a someone not practicing Ramadan, they probably will drink water and maybe have like caffeine or gum, things like that. And um, practicing Ramadan, you can't always have water or like take anything in. And they're also like practicing like a different level of mindfulness on like um, really appreciating when they have food and um, different different things like that. It's kind of like a mindfulness that you might not have um, if you're not practicing Ramadan. John, are you still doing the no breakfast, no lunch thing? Just well, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, it's, it's funny, you know, we talk about the, we're in the middle of this pandemic right now and my eating and sleep habits are literally all over the board. Um, where I have, <clears throat> I've pushed off breakfast still. Um, there's been times where I, I have eaten breakfast. I've gotten back into the habit of doing it again, but um, I'm still trying to do time-restricted feeding. But uh, I know once everything kind of goes back to normal, it'll be easier for me to do that. I think I've just allowed myself to, to not adhere to such a, a strict time-restricted time eating or fasting. Um, but yeah, I have done that, and, and it, it is a, a practice of mine. Yeah, it's, a, it's common. Um, I know Melanie and I were just talking yesterday and um, this concept more of time restricted feeding itself in the diet form is probably going to be more familiar to um, our athletic trainers and maybe our athletes parents. Um, just because, you know, we never recommend our athletes doing any type of dieting whatsoever. That is not what they need at all. Um, so it has been shown to be beneficial, though, for um, people who are either trying to lose weight or um, just kind of reset their metabolic um, inside, basically. So. so let's let's discuss hydration. Mm -hmm. This can be a very difficult thing, and, and we started touching on it a little bit how do we go about helping our athletes that are practicing the time restricted fasting time restricted eating, uh, because they, they can't take water in. Uh, and there's times where even if you are fasting and, and you try not to allow yourself to drink water, you can wet your mouth, things like that. 
They're going to chew gum, candy, something to help you a little bit. How do we help athletes that are practicing fasting? How do we help them hydrate? So I think the first, so were we talking about like athletes practicing Ramadan? Um, so once they're able to hydrate, taking advantage of, um, drinks that optimize hydration. So we know that some beverages are better at hydrating than just plain water. For example, um, there's been studies that looked at milk, juice, um, like sports beverages, and, um, specifically the milk and orange juice were a little bit better at hydrating than just plain water. Um, so awareness of that could be helpful. Um, once they have like they're during a period where they can eat, have those beverages. And then even like considering salting food or having saltier foods can help with retention of water. Um, and then, with hydration, like awareness of signs and symptoms of dehydration, I think is so important for coaches and the athlete to be aware of, um, which I'm sure you've seen with your athletes, like knowing um, the signs like urine color, weights before and after practices, or even like before you go to bed and when you wake up and any quick weight loss is typically reflective of like losing water um, and dehydration. So like two, losing 2% or more of their body weight could indicate that they're dehydrated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then again, going back to Melanie's point earlier, um, just having that plan when they're able to break fast of um, how much they're going to be drinking and when. Because again, they don't want to go slug a bunch of water right when they're allowed to because then that's going to take that space up. Um, where they need to get that fuel in. So utilizing, again, those drinks, like Melanie said, like water and juice and maybe making smoothies. There was a study that looked at um, a soccer team, Saudi Arabian soccer team, and one of the techniques they used was using um, something like, they called it milkshakes, but it was basically a smoothie with protein and fluid and milk and fruit, which is also hydrating. Vegetables are also hydrating. So incorporating a lot of those types of things into something like a smoothie. So it's very energy dense um, and it's not a large amount, um, potentially doing something like that as well as either one of their meals, one of their snacks, incorporating that as some of their hydration in addition to like that milk, that juice. And those things are going to have those calories and some of those macronutrients that they're going to need to get in, um, in a short period of time. And then also we're going into like hotter weather now. Mm -hmm. And so having them be aware of like ways to cool down your body, um, like during practice, maybe having like cold towels or ice, um, although they're not taking in that water, just cooling down their body, um, should reduce like the impact of dehydration. Mm -hmm. um, they can keep themselves cool. Yeah, that was one of the things that I, when I was discussing this with my athletes last year and putting together that paper was the idea of cooling their body. Uh, just mm -hmm. having the, the cold towels, having the ability to, to get into a shaded area or coming inside during practice, um, that helped them kind of restart, focus on why they were doing it, uh, because it is, it is a, a religious practice and um, allowing them to be closer to their God or, or to God. Um, so they needed that time to 
to focus as to the reason why they were doing it uh, and, and allowing them to just cool themselves off, sit, think, meditate. That allowed them to kind of return back to their sport within uh, a little bit quicker time frame, rather than just uh, worrying about needing to get water or whatever it is, uh, having them focus on the reason why they were doing it. Uh, and then allowing them to go back at their own time frame. That was one of the considerations that we had talked to with our coaches about was to allow the athletes to excuse themselves, step away, cool themselves down, yeah. um, and, and go forth with what they needed to. Did you find so I got something, um, you were talking about the practicing the intermittent or the time restricted feeding. So does that change the, I guess the spiritual aspect, if you start two or three weeks before the event, before Ramadan starts, start practicing your time restricted feeding or doing that to, do you think that that changes that for the athletes at all? And maybe in your, your experience as, as you've asked them to do that before. Kinda. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, most of them, it's, they understand why they have to do it, but again, Again, we're still talking about kids who are teenagers. <laughs> and um, so if this is something that's going to help them maybe get better, uh, they're willing to try it to do some of these things. Obviously, they're not going to sit down and have that Eastar meal or that Suhor meal with their families at those certain times. But just starting some of those habits of maybe we start taking naps during this time. Maybe we're really focused on trying to stay awake a little bit later um, than we're used to, and then we're sleeping between these hours. So just little changes over time, because we can't just ask them on the dot, like, okay, let's start practicing, like everything we need to do. Um, so little by little, that'll help that transition to when it is um, April 23rd, that they're able to maybe just have a little bit better habits or do things a little bit better. Maybe it's the fact that we, they're not as dehydrated as they would be or they have been in the past. Maybe it's that they feel like they have a little more energy during the day compared to years past. So if there's <laughs> anything we can do like that to help them, um, then hopefully they're able to do that. And I haven't really had anybody say like, oh, that's not allowed. We're not allowed to practice that um, just mm -hmm. because it's a little habit that we're asking them to change, not necessarily the entire fast itself. And another thing to keep in mind too, is that there are a lot of athletes that choose to hold their own Ramadan at mm -hmm. a different time frame. Yep. Uh, I've had athletes start and they'll do it for a week or so, maybe 10 days, and then realize that they're unable to keep up with the habit of fasting during their athletic time. And they'll push it off until the end of the season. Mm -hmm. That is allowed. Um, and there are times where they need to be medically treated. So say you do have somebody that goes down with a heat illness uh, and they need to be uh, drinking water or say they have to go to the hospital and um, they're, they're forced with IV fluids, things like that. They can take that time frame where they had to be treated and push that off to another time frame, maybe at the end of Ramadan. So say they have to, they last for two weeks and they still have two weeks left, uh, they can use that two weeks at the end of their athletics. The, the whole point of it is to bring them closer to God uh, and to practice uh, fasting and, and kind of, you know, why they're doing it. Uh, so the time frame is it's, it's mandatory for those that can do it for those that cannot do it. They are allowed 
some some leeway with planning their days. Um, and and I know we talked about this last year too. For for women who are menstruating, they are allowed to push that week off for another time. So it's not always that full time uh, month time frame. They can push it off um, for other times. Um, you know, so that is something to keep in mind for those athletes that are practicing the time restricted feeding. Yeah. And I know at Michigan too, we had some athletes who their parents or they had talked to their, um, whoever their leader was in their church they attended. Um, and they gave them kind of permission to drink water during the day. They were able to consume fluids, but maybe not food. Um, so there are different levels, I think. And I think it all depends too on the family, on the church, on that individual, their beliefs. And um, so it's hard to kind of make, again, blanket statements about it because everyone does it a little bit differently. Um, Because yeah, I have worked with athletes. They're like, yeah, my um, priest or rabbi uh, told us we're able to drink water during the day because they know I participate in sports and they gave me a blessing to be able to do that. Um, but they still participated in the no food. Um, so there is, I know that, that I've seen as well. Yeah. And just to go off that, I think like the first thing we would do when working with them is ask them, like, how do you interpret Ramadan Mm -hmm. and like, what, how do you usually go about it with your family? Mm -hmm. Do you want to be mindful of them? Yeah. And that's, I, I really enjoy that point right there. It's really connecting with those athletes, really connecting mm-hmm. with them and asking them what they need. Uh, we don't always want to, to have everybody's input, but when you are being considerate, when you're showing compassion and asking those questions, those a- athletes are much more apt to come up to you during a practice and say, Hey, I need a few minutes to myself right now. Uh, and they're able to to excuse themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you, when you're doing that, you're opening up those lines of communication that will help extremely during Ramadan. But after Ramadan too, the athlete's going to trust you more as a, as a practitioner, as an athletic trainer, as a coach. They're going to trust you more with decisions that you have to make or that you suggest. Uh, and, and that's one of the important things. And that's kind of why we're here too, is, is to educate ourselves, but to help us connect with our athletes better so that we're, uh, better, better healthcare providers for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yep. I think take, so like their health and safety is kind of like our mm-hmm. main point here. And then like, once we have that, um, like focus on, okay, how, what can we do to make sure you're maintaining performance and energy, but definitely to make sure their health and I'm, healthy and safe. And I'm sure that's what their parents also would like to. So I want to take that into account. Yeah. And when we, I spoke with our, our local uh, community about it last year. And the thing that they wanted to emphasize is that health and safety is always the number one priority. Yes, this is an important practice. Yes, this is an important pillar of their faith. However, if there's ever any compromise to the health and safety, it needs to be stopped and treated immediately. And that was the, the main point that they wanted us to understand and the coaches to understand is that, yes, we can treat. Yes, we can help if we feel that there is an emergency to take care of and the athlete can adjust those days at the end. But to, to keep the person alive and healthy and safe, that is the number one thing that we need to keep in mind. 
do you in your athletes do you find that they're aware of like hydration knowing if they're dehydrated or knowing if they have like low blood sugar um do they know the signs and symptoms yeah they it's the older athletes so the junior seniors that have practiced it two three years um, they're really good at knowing their bodies knowing the signs and symptoms knowing how to uh, how to eat, how to, how and when to eat. It's the younger ones that need a little bit more guidance. Um, and, and like I said, last year, when I put this out, it opened up all of our athletes to help or to, to communicate with us and to ask those questions. Uh, cause in the past, even though Islam is the number two religion in the world, they still felt kind of isolated and they didn't know who to ask those questions to, or they didn't feel comfortable asking those questions. So, um, you know, when they have the people around them that are aware of their religion, aware of those practices, they were much more apt to ask questions. Um, so the older ones, yes, they could, they, they could figure they, they those things out. It was the younger ones that were kind of out in the woods by themselves and didn't know where to turn. Do you awesome. guys do, oh, sorry, Melanie, um, John, John, do you guys do anything like a meeting or like paperwork or anything like that kind of before this um, time period starts just to, um, I guess, come across the way you are right now? Like mm -hmm. we're here for your athlete. We want to make sure, again, their health and safety is our priority. Um can we talk about like each athlete or, you know, have the parents or something like that? Do you guys do anything like that? So last year was the first year that we did something. Uh, in the okay. years past, it was very, very informal. Uh, I, I had always tried to become a little bit more educated with that because our population of our student athletes, um, we, I knew there was a lot more Muslim athletes there. So I tried to be a little bit more. It wasn't until our superintendent and our administration asked for me to put something together to help educate our coaches and put it out into our community that really opened up the door for our athletes in our community. Uh, the, the, uh, the outreach from them when this got put out was, was tremendous. And I, I, I'm so glad that we were able to do this for our community. Um, but up until then it was very informal. Um, so it, I, this is out, like I have it available for people if they want it, um, to, to put it out for their student athletes, their communities, um, because it really helped me connect with our student athletes and the student athletes that I didn't know were Muslim. Uh, and you know, I just didn't know that they would be going through this time period and, and uh, needing help. So if I'm more aware of those things, it made me a better athletic trainer for our students. Yeah, and just like having the support to you know high school by itself is really hard. So during this um, time, just having the trainer and support staff there in case they need them, I'm sure it was helpful for them. Yeah, and the, one of the cool things is when I sent it out, I sent it, the first group I sent it out to was our coaches. So it was our coaches that, since they are with our athletes more, um, in the, in those teams, the first person I got it back, the, the first email I got back from was our, um, was our lacrosse coach was our boys lacrosse coach. And if you've ever seen this guy, he's, um, he's an old football player played at Michigan back in the sixties. Uh, so he's just this rough, gruff, 
older white male. And he was the first person to reach out to me and say, thank you so much. I really needed this because I didn't know how to communicate with those athletes. Um, and, you know, I figured it would be our younger coaches that were like, Hey, this would be great. Thanks. You know, thanks for the information. Uh, but when I knew that I was reaching out to that coach that was struggling to communicate with his athletes and understand, that's when I knew we were opening up more doors for, for everybody. Yeah, so with, like with hydration, um, I would just add, like going up like some more nutrition points for them just to help them know what to do when they are hydrating um, and refueling. Kyla and I were talking about how um, I just kind of like jumped back into nutrition, but there are a couple <laughs> couple of points. I think you're talking about like how the nutrition composition of their meals change. Um, in addition to hydration. So I don't know if they would be interested in that and just some things that they can do to refuel. Um, we can talk about that more. Yeah, I think that's really important to, to discuss. Um, what's mm -hmm. how, how should an athlete, since they are in a time-restricted uh, eating um, time frame, how, do, how should they go about adjusting those meals and um, – and, and what are the most important things for them to recognize when they're, when they're putting food into their body? So I think the first thing like we do with any of our high school athletes is educate them on how different <laughs> impact, how they feel and their energy. Um, so some of those research and articles have looked at focusing more on carbohydrates and protein during a time-restricted feeding for Ramadan. Um, and the carbohydrates, mainly those are, you're, they're found in like grains, breads, fruits. And we know that carbs give them energy. So if they have their sports practice during the day and they're not eating, by the time they get that meal in, we want to make sure we're refueling that energy burned. So getting extra carbs in um, will be helpful just to optimize energy. And then also protein. We know when you go long spans of time without eating, and if you're in maybe an energy deficit, so we're not getting all the calories we need, um, your muscle mass and fat-free mass could decrease a little bit. Um, so making sure we're increasing our protein and getting adequate protein will also help preserve some of their muscle mass. So carbs and protein, and then fat actually decreases a little bit um, just because we're, we're needing a little more carbs to replenish fuel. So, um, I don't know, Kyla, do you have anything to add to that? Um, you know, just kind of those basic recommendations, like as far as um, specific numbers, because I know people like numbers, they're like, okay, carbs, protein, like, yes. Um, but I know with carbs, you know, again, as Melanie said, the papers we looked at really emphasize high carb refeeds is what we call them. So those periods when they're able to eat, they're trying to refeed their body, refuel their body after the day they've just had. Um, I know some of the papers have recommended about six to eight grams per kilo of carbs, which I'll kind of give you an example here in a second. Um, and as far as protein goes, they say it's about 1.8 to 2 grams per kilo of protein during that time. Now, if you think about it, 
So you're like, okay, I have the numbers. I know what foods are what, but what does that look like? Um, so let's say we had a 220 pound athlete because I'm making my math easy. So they're about a hundred kilos, um, during a regular day. So when they're not fasting, let's say they need anywhere between five to seven grams per kilo worth of carbs. So let's say about 500 grams of carbs, um, for protein, we'll put them at about two grams per kilo. So that's about 200 grams of protein. So what does that look like food wise protein? That's about one. 0.25 pounds of meat. And that looks like about 33 slices of bread, just in general. So that amount of food that they would need in a whole day, cram that in now into that nighttime feed. Um, so if you kind of see where I'm going with this, it's really difficult. Um, you know, the recommendations and what we're asking them to try to do um, in order to again, optimize their nutrition. Um, are they going to be able to get that much? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but we want to do our best, again, giving them those tools, giving them um, education, giving them ideas of things they can do to maybe just increase those calories and get those numbers a little bit closer to what they need to be to hopefully um, attenuate that weight loss, your fat-free math loss. Um, that they're not as dehydrated during the day and that maybe they feel a little bit better during the day. So it is a lot that we would recommend or ask. Um, but again, it's all about the education and communication with them and teaching them those things that they need. And just so on that, you guys mentioned the like having like a protein or milkshake mm -hmm. kind of thing. And then, but we've also talked about hydration. So if they're, if they're filling up with water, then that leaves less room for them to fill up with the cramming and all that food. So how do you, do you recommend them not drinking much water, but making sure they get that hydration through the fruits and vegetables or making sure that, that it is just those smoothies or like, how do you balance that out? Yeah. Um, Melanie had made a good point about the different hydrating foods, but just quickly before I give it to her, both um, doing both those things, water and some of those more hydrating fluids and things like smoothies. So Melanie. Yeah, if they can do like even like ju orange juice or milk in place of water, um, they'll get the calories, macronutrients, and um, it was found that those were more hydrating than just plain water. Um, like the macro, the carbs in it help you in the like sodium and everything in it helps retain water a little bit better. So um, your body's able to absorb more fluid. It slows down how you absorb the fluid. Um, and then also on that, if you're getting in like the smoothies or a shake, it's not like you're eating so much food. I know um, from talking to a couple athletes um, that when you're getting in these huge meals and then you might go right to bed, that's a lot for your body to have to digest and then go to sleep. So you might, they might experience like stomach aches and uh, maybe like some GI upset just from digesting it all. So using something like a smoothie before bed rather than that big meal, or if they're waking up at 2 a.m. using some type of like easy to digest food that's high in calories and hydration um, could be something for them to try. Try out different smoothies or protein shakes um, and get a little creative with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can easily make like a five to 600 calorie shake 
super easy and it could be, you know, eight to 12 ounces and they could drink that super easy and asking them maybe to drink something like that or eating all the food that's going into it. Um, they're going to see that shake as probably a little bit easier thing to do. And again, they're getting in probably more fruit, more veggies than they would otherwise if you're putting that into a shake. So you can sneak in some stuff too. Now, how do we adjust? Now, we're learning a lot and we're, we're figuring out, especially the macronutrients and, and where to, to, to emphasize what we need to put into our body. How do we adjust for some food allergies? So let's, let's talk about, you talked about the 33 slices of bread. Let's talk about somebody who uh, is a celiac patient. Mm -hmm. How do we help with that? Yeah. Like rice, potato. Mm -hmm. um, Those are typically low in food allergies. Um, And then fruit, of course, they can get their carbohydrates from fruit. Yeah. It'll just be adjusting again. Um, the types of foods that they're eating, because not all carbs have um, gluten in them, which is a nice thing. Um, so maybe not 33 slices of bread, but instead, we're looking at like 16 potatoes or something like that. So um, we can always, you know, alternate whatever it is that we're asking them to eat. So okay. Mm-hmm. Good. Now, I, I talked about when I wrote this letter last year, one of the three things that I wanted to emphasize was sleep. How does time-restricted feeding and how does a diet like this affect sleep? A lot of the studies did note that sleep was one of the um, factors that if you're changing the time you're eating, it changes your body clock and that automatically can impact sleep especially like when you're eating, that's telling your body like, okay, it's time to be awake right now. Um, Same thing like when it's light or dark out. So eating is also one of those factors that can throw off your body clock. Um, So I think a big one would be looking at the types of foods you're eating. So if we're eating something like um, Thanksgiving dinner, like really high in fat and sugar, that could... um, kind of like upset your stomach and then make it hard to fall asleep. So kind of what we just mentioned with the shakes, that could be something. Um, I'll let Kyla give her input too. (laughs) Yeah, sleep is one of those things, um, again, especially during Ramadan, that is going to be the biggest factor, they say, that's going to impact how, um, not even just that athlete, how that person feels for the rest of the time. Um, I've seen obviously not high school athletes, but adults who actually work, um, you know, whatever job it might be, um, they completely flip their schedules. They tell their bosses, I'm going to work between this time and this time, and it's at night. And then during the day, they sleep all day. So they're completely kind of that night shift now. So they've completely shifted their entire day. And something like that, again, as Melanie mentioned, our body clock and our circadian rhythms um, are going to be thrown off for sure. Um, It's, again, something that unfortunately we have to learn how to strategically um, structure sleep during this time um, because 
eating when we're supposed to be sleeping can lead to just a slew of different things. Unfortunately, our insulin and glucose control is going to be a little thrown off. Our sleep efficiency when we do sleep is going to be a little thrown off. Um, our cortisol levels, our leptin levels, so things like that, um, metabolically, our body is going to struggle um, just because it's internal, that circadian rhythm is thrown off. So again, doing what we can um, and helping them schedule, they maybe are sleeping at some point during the night, but then they're taking naps during the day strategically in order to just supplement however many hours of sleep they were able to get that night. And then also, I know a lot of kids will like um, energy drinks and caffeine. So letting them know that if they have those hours before bed, that's also going to make it even harder to fall asleep. Um, so just like general sleep hygiene tips. Um, what Keeping do you the room cool. Yep. Keeping the room cool, um, making sure when they're awake during the daytime, they're getting that exposure to light, um, again, to maybe bring some normality to their sleep-wake cycle. Um, yeah, for sure. And no energy drinks. Please don't. <laughs> yeah. And then also like weighing it out, like worth it to wake up at 2 a.m. and eat something, or should I just not like wake myself up and keep mm -hmm. sleeping? So maybe looking at their training schedule or competitions. And if they have a big competition coming up, then um, letting them sleep a little bit because we know that'll help with recovery and performance. So it, I think that's one of those individualized factors where we can plan it out based on what they have going on. So let's give it our number one tip for athletic trainers to help treat our athletes during this time, what would you say your number one tip would be? Know your athlete. Talk to them, get to know them. Again, build that rapport with them. Um, so you're better able to communicate and have that relationship with them. Um, because a big part of this is, again, that they're wanting to be closer to their God and it is a big mental challenge for them. So even just having that kind of relief by having someone to talk to and who maybe understands um, is going to be very beneficial. So educating yourself, you know, reaching out to Melanie or myself um, with questions, um, you know, reading up on it. And yeah, that would be the biggest, I think, tip just in general. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And then also educating them on signs and symptoms of dehydration. Like mm -hmm. um, if they, they're noticing their health is declining, like letting them know, like it's important to tell their trainer and their coach mm -hmm. that. Um, so letting them know um, those points and then um, possibly helping them plan ahead of time if they need help with planning. So we know like, okay, carbs and protein and hydration are really important. Now, um, maybe here's some, some of the things um, to try. Keep their health up. Okay. All right. So what we'll do now is um, we'll give chance a chance for you to give your information out so that people can contact you. So while you guys get that ready, um, Every time John's on, we always talk about uh, myotech because that's just people right there around the corner. So I know they're working hard during this current COVID-19 to help get masks and things out like that. And also during March, which was National Athletic Training Month, they 
donated some tape that I'm going to be sending out some cases of their new tape. So if you want to check out Myotech, it's SMB, the sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash Myotech, and you can use the code VSMB. So using the code VSMB on myotechstore.com or sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash Myotech. All right. So Kyla, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, you can send me an email and um, that email is K-Y-C-R-O-S-S at U-M-I-C-H dot E-D-U. Um, and I check my email all the time, so I should be able to get back to you relatively quickly. Okay. And Melanie, someone else to get a hold of you? It would also be my email. Um, it's a little long, but it's my first name, Melanie dot my last name. B-A-T-T-A-G-L-I-A at memorialherman.org. Okay. And so I want to thank Brett Singer for connecting us. Again, Brett's been on the podcast multiple times, and uh, it's really just a great opportunity for uh, students, for people working in their fellowship to kind of get in front of public and ask questions, but also to share their knowledge. And so, Brett, thanks for hooking us up. John is still... Um, got his COVID-19 email autoresponder set up. So, uh, John, what's the best way to someone to get a hold of you? Uh, email J-C-I-E-C-K-O at Bloomfield, B-O, I'm sorry, B-L-O-O-M-F-I-E-L-D dot O-R-G. So J-C-K-O at Bloomfield.org or on Twitter at J-O-H-N-C-I-E-C-K-O. And so for me right now, it's probably email info at sportsmedicinebroadcast.com because I'm trying to stay signed out of social media on my phone so that I don't spend all time, all the time just looking at the phone or getting distracted with that. So if you need to go to me that way, this is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash Ramadan. Again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash Ramadan. So I'll have the links. I'll have this kind of a summary written there, uh, ways to contact those uh, each of the participants today. So for Jeremy, John, Kyla, Melanie, and the Sports Medicine Broadcast, that is a wrap. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. You guys yeah, did a great thank job. You. Thank you.